right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Convince Me the Supernatural and Conspiracy Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Casey. And I am your second co-host, Stevie. Yep, and uh, last week we brushed on um, the JFK assassination, kind of did some broad strokes and went into a couple of different theories. We will be uh, tackling that in more depth today. Um, But before we did that, I wanted to say we have, for once, breaking news in conspiracy uh, news, I guess. Um, Oh, really? What is that? They found a new Nazca line um, last week. And uh, it is in the shape of a cat, which was... uh, you said Nazca line? Yeah. Okay, what is this? Because I don't think I've ever heard this You've word before. never heard of the Nazca lines before. I may have, but maybe the, the name of it isn't ringing a bell. Okay, uh, it's in a desert in South America. There are, um, it's basically like, this whole desert is covered in black rocks, basically. And right underneath the black rocks, like if you were to brush them aside, there's there's white dirt or light-colored dirt, I should say. So um, some ancient culture, and we're not exactly sure who, used that fact to create, like, giant um, drawings in, in the desert. Um, oh, okay. Are those, like, there's, like, a big bird... And a couple of other like mm-hmm. really strange. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I've yeah. never heard the, or at least processed the term for those. But uh, they found a cat. Now they How did. How far away from the other one? Um, let me pull up the information here. It's about 250 miles south of Lima, the capital uh, and largest city of Peru. Um, doesn't say how far away it was from the others, but it is approximately 121 feet long, and it says the figure was barely visible and was about to disappear due to the location on a fairly steep slope. Hmm. So. So when you see something like that, does your brain go to an ancient culture? And what they were doing it for, or do you automatically start thinking aliens? Um, I think, I mean, something like that. I can definitely, you, you know, it, it looks like a cat on the side of a hill. I can definitely see why an old, uh, an ancient culture would draw that on the side of a hill. Um, I mean, we do it, you know, right? We've got here in in. Rapid City, the city that I live in, there's a big M on the side of a hill. Um, in Deadwood, yeah. it says Deadwood on the side of the hill, um, and I'm and a lot of different different towns do that. So um, it's not far fetched for me to believe that that um, is just decoration, honestly. But th- some of the other Nazca lines um, lead me to believe that it would be have done. Would have been done for some sort of purpose, because a lot of them are straight mm. straight lines or geographic shapes that aren't really decorative 
I mean, they do look pretty, but they're they don't really serve a decorative purpose. Um, and that and you the other, the ones that are on the actual desert floor, you can't see from the desert. You have to be in the air to see them. So exactly, you know. So it's like, what benefit did they serve people? And also, how did those people get the uh, specifications of the size down as well as they did. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I, I mean, how do you enjoy that art unless, like you said, you're suspended above it, mm-hmm. looking down? Yeah, yeah. So, so not this one specifically. I wouldn't say that this one specifically really screams aliens to me, but um, the other ones not really scream aliens to me, but it screams we probably made this for aliens or to communicate with somebody who's flying um yeah basically yeah yeah there was definitely a greater technology than we know about can prove and um you know uh understand i think at this point in our consciousness anyway yeah but I mean, we could go deeper into that um, another time. We do uh, have a lot to talk about about the JFK assassination, or um, so it would appear. Um, looking at the Google Doc that has <laughs> been put together for this episode, uh, you dumped a lot of stuff in there yesterday. Yeah, and and you know it was things that I I had heard before, mm-hmm. but. Um, there, I found, you know, stuff about all the declassified files that came out within, like, the last three years. And I think um, that kind of ended up padding up um, a lot of this because, you know, it, it are, it's evidence to prove there were other things going on. And, you know, it's not helping close the conspiracy that these things have been declassified it's actually making it easier to think there had been a conspiracy mm-hmm. so where do you want to start <laughs> <laughs> um that's a good question i i probably wherever well hmm yeah wherever you think would be the best place to start i think we should go with that it looks like you did the vast majority of the resource yeah research, so well okay I just don't remember where we left off or even what we did last time because, like I said to you earlier, I thought it was a little unorganized maybe before, but um, let's go ahead and talk about the, uh, the things that are driving the conspiracy, okay? okay? And this is a list that... I compiled from things that we knew before the declassification and then after the declassification. So um, people who think that there was something weird, um, the Secret Service wanted to take him to Washington, D.C. instead of allowing the pathologist in Dallas to do the autopsy, which should have been his legal um i don't want to say right but his like legal duty because he was the pathologist of that county and that area 
Um, and then Oswald claimed that he had been set up and that he was a patsy. And later on, after the declassification came out, uh, there's a Captain William Fritz who was talking about when they interviewed Oswald, um, he claimed to have an alibi for his whereabouts during lunch, at, um, during the assassination, which was, uh, again, uh, around this time of the assassination. And then um, Ruby was involved with the Mafia. The, the Pruder film really contributes to the conspiracy. And it had originally been sold to Life magazine and then concealed from the public, but Geraldo Rivera decided on his nighttime or yeah, good night, good night America uh, in 1975 that it was appropriate to air a pirated copy of it. So um, that opened up a lot of conspiracies. Um, there is this this data, and I'm not really sure where it's at. It might be in the Warren Commission, but it discusses a police microphone picking up a recording of the motorcade. It was like stuck open, I think is what they said. Mm-hmm. Um, but it picks up the entire recording in the motorcade as it uh, rounds down Geely Plaza. And then if you look at it on a... Um, I don't know what it is, some sort of machine, you know, that can show you the frequency impulses. Um, You see these four rather large impulses at uh, particular intervals. I mean, you can, I I assume it's something like, like an oscilloscope that they're talking about using, but you can just open the sound file in any modern... Um, sound editing program and see the waveform of it. Yeah, yeah. This is like some sound editing software. But the interesting thing about this is um, they say that the frequency impulses are indicative of gunshots and they did scientific testing. I think I might have talked about this in the last one in 82 and 2003 uh, that refuted that the impulses are gunshots. And they said if they do it from a book depository, it's a 90% match to what is seen on the um, the microphone recording. Mm-hmm. But if you do it from the grassy knoll, it is a 95% match. So... I don't. I don't automatically think that means that it was absolutely from the grassy knoll. Yeah. But I do think that that five percent opens up the idea that maybe it wasn't the book depository building, maybe it wasn't the grassy knoll, but maybe there was another place that would have been able to um, get the hundred percent on that impulse frequency. It makes that makes me really curious about how they tested that. Because, I mean, short of actually firing a gun from either the grassy knoll or the uh, the book depository, you're going to have some different sound markers. I mean, anything can affect the sound of something, um, what it's bouncing off of, um, even, like, the humidity 
can uh, affect how something sounds. I mean, not very much, obviously, but it is a factor. Well, and I'm I'm sure that having that many people to be there to absorb some of the frequencies probably had something to do with it also. Um, because I'm sure when they were testing it, it wasn't ideal conditions. Right. Um, you know, they probably did it in an empty plaza. They probably did it, you know, under um, official regulations and stuff like that. I'm, I'm you know, closed up plaza off or whatever. Um, I guess I guess my point is if if they're looking at that five percent difference as possible proof that it was shot from the grassy knoll instead of the book depository, there's a lot of stuff that can make a five percent difference in sound. Um, yeah, yeah. So well, and also like you know, if if you're going off book depository, like what would have to happen? in order for it to be a hundred percent match. Like where where would a, a shooter actually have had to have been? But again, you know, like we were just saying, there's so many other things that could um dampen the impulse or um contribute to the frequency mm-hmm. that how do you I don't know. It's so interesting though, you know, like that they could um, fire off. I'm assuming not a gun, but probably a blank from the book depository building, and still um, realize that yes, this guy did pick up the gunshot. Right. But um, you know the whole the whole point of that is you know we only know about two shots. What happens to shots three and four? Well, and according to the Warren report... Or two report, and three, I mean. Yeah, I was going to say, according to the Warren report, it was only uh, three. But. Exactly, and that's that's one of those things that's kind of controversial because um, they say that the impulse for number four, if you stack it up against the um, motorcade and what was going on during that very short span of time the um the last shot is like a minute after the motorcade took off toward the hospital so why would there be a nest yeah why would there be a necessity for that fourth shot you know Mm -hmm. and nobody of course heard it nobody knows anything about it so it's kind of a weird uh thing to be thinking about but um you know, maybe there was something else around that that did it, or I don't know. I think it's just interesting information that's come to light anyway, and I would like to see if it's actually legitimate. Yeah, that's 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 pretty I mean, interesting to me, for sure. Yeah, I mean, how many how many officers' microphones get stuck in the on position, you know, and then recorded, and then. I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. All right. So moving on. Um, obviously, one of the big things that is uh, driving the conspiracy is whether or not Oswald could have even made the shot because he used one weapon from the sixth floor of the book depository building, 
is a $30 bolt action rifle, which claim, like a lot of gun enthusiasts claim he, it would have been too slow for him to have made all of the, the three shots in the allotted time frame. And, I uh, don't believe that. I mean, I, I guess I, I really don't know that much about guns, but bolt action rifles, I mean, you make a shot, you rotate the bolt upwards, um, pull it back so that the uh, other, so that the spent casing gets ejected and then push it forwards, rotate it right. That's all you really have to do. You can do that pretty quickly. Um, so, I, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about guns, but the fact that it would be too slow to um, fire four shots while that motorcade was driving by, I don't buy personally. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so to finish that off, um, gun enthusiasts or experts are saying that it's, like, one of the most inferior weapons that you can shoot, and then, I mean, he was only three shots, and the final distance was 88 yards away, and so he would have had a minimum, if he did two targets, it would have been a span of just under six seconds. And later on, the FBI actually determined that, or determined that the bolt action rifle could only be fired every 2.3 seconds, even without careful aiming. And I have seen an expert sniper, he was like a Navy SEAL sniper and a CIA CIA contractor. Mm -hmm. Um, He shot the same type of gun from a six-story building into target place where the target would have been and he was completely able to do it um his his um argument was that he did not think that oswald could have done it because first of all his targets were stationary Mm -hmm. and he didn't have the adrenaline going through him like oswald would have and some other reasons you know so but Oswald was trained as a sniper in the army. He he would have been able to. He was not. He was not. I I thought he was. I had read the reports that he was. Well, and I don't. Well, okay. So reports very much could be correct. Um, according to Wikipedia, which we all know is the the most accurate information <laughs> out there that you can read about anything. Um, it said that he actually worked in like radar operations and plane surveillance and things like that. Um, he did score high, um, when he first entered the Marines on his shooting test to, um, give him the rank of sharp shooter, which means that he could hit a 10 inch target from like, I don't even know how, like 200 yards away or something like that, um, eight out of 10 times. But his documents also say that in 1959, he was only a sharpshooter. Okay. And I might, which I is might, I might have read sharpshooter and assumed sniper. So that might be. Well, I've case. read, 
I have read too that he was trained as a as a sniper, mm-hmm. or at least trained in artillery, you know, in shooting guns. But um, if Wikipedia has any truth to it, which who knows about this subject or anything right. true is, um, he was actually in uh, into more surveillance kind of stuff. Okay. But, well, um, I mean, my point still stands, though. Um, I mean, even if it, even if he wasn't trained as a sniper, just trained in army in the army period, I think would reduce that. Um, or trained with firearms, you don't even have to be in the army. But if if you know, if you've fired firearms before, um, and trained with them even just a little bit, I think that would ki- greatly reduce the adrenaline factor of it. Because, I mean, even if you're just a hunter, you're pretty used to steadying yourself and, and breathing correctly while you, uh, when you shoot. So, that whole... Yeah. He couldn't have made the shot because he would have been nervous thing. I don't, I don't buy that either. Yeah, and, you know, the idea that, okay, in 1959, his um, ability dropped to marksman. I don't know if I said sharp. Yeah, I said sharpshooter. So he should have been sharpshooter in 1956. He was just above the cutoff to make him a sharpshooter. And then in 59, he dropped his score down to marksman. Um, You're not telling me that in that amount of time, he, I mean, 59 to 63, is that when Kennedy was shot? Yeah. 63? Yeah. That he could not have not only bettered, but excelled above the first four, you know? Mm-hmm. So, who knows how good of a, a shot he was at in 1963. You can't really judge it based on scores from 1959. Yeah, I would think even if I, though if like, I had a plot to assassinate the president using a bolt action rifle, I would probably practice a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Um so okay, so yeah, that is a big thing that is um driving conspiracy. What else is there? So let's move on to um, they apparently paraffin tested his cheeks after they arrested him and did not find any gun residue. And then um, the whole thing about how the doctors in Dallas and the doctors from the government have conflicting accounts of the wounds. Um, the government says that he was shot from behind and the ER doc, remember, completely different injuries and then they never interviewed for the commission report or um the warren report that um his his personal physician was never interviewed for that and then he was the only doctor that could have actually solved some sort of discrepancy between the parkland and bethesda hospitals um a lawyer from him gave a contact report to the House Service C- 
Committee of Assassinations and said that he had information that others besides Oswald must have been participated or must have participated. Um, then so, there were 82 witnesses. Sorry, oh, sorry, back up a little bit on no. that one. Um, yeah. Contact report from Dr. Berkeley lawyer to HSCA. What did his lawyer have to do with that? Like, I, um, I think he was just trying to get information out for his uh, client. Um, I'm sure some some author probably tried to contact him about it. Um, and okay, okay, whatever. I was... I was just kind of confused. I was like, well, why is this lawyer, just this random lawyer, um, submitting a paper that yeah. said that is, is he just speculating or something like that? But this is the doctor basically saying these wounds, these gun- his yeah, these gunshot wounds had to have come from multiple sources, is basically what yeah. you're saying. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That makes but sense. But I'm also wondering, too, because I've never heard it. Maybe you have. Like, at what point did the personal physician view him and um, take inventory of his injuries? Because yeah, I don't know. I, I would assume that would be after he went back to Washington. Or after his, yeah, body, his body yeah, was flown yeah. back to Washington. Yeah, but the, um, the two naval doctors who ended up with it, like, I wonder if he... I wonder if he had seen him before and then, like, pronounced him dead again and then turned him over to the two incompetent naval officers or doctors that performed the autopsy. Why why do you say incompetent? Oh, because... Neither of them had ever done an autopsy before <laughs> in their entire lives. Okay, and, so so um, you, the base of the word incompetent, really. Yeah, yeah, and then so anytime that you have a gunshot wound, like technic, I think it's technic. I don't know. Listen to me talk out my ass. So there, if you want to do an autopsy of somebody who has had a gunshot wound um, that, you know, precipitated the death. It's, you need a forensic pathologist mm-hmm. to do that. And that is a whole other set of certifications and education and et cetera. But none of these guys, neither of these guys who had performed the autopsy had those credentials. And again, neither of them had actually performed an autopsy before so here they are cutting their teeth on the arguably the most important person in the united states at that time mm-hmm. you know and trying to learn as they go i'm assuming i'm sure there wasn't like books open as 82 <laughs> other people stood around um watching them do this uh, one thing that was said of one of the witnesses was that the autopsy was actually more of a military endeavor instead of a scientific um, 
understanding or undertaking. So, yeah, incompetent. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure their adrenaline was rushing. You know, that's when you start forgetting to do things because um, suddenly you've got this really important case, like right there in front of you and um people are going to want to know what you have to say but uh i mean just just the fact of it them not having any previous experience with it is kind of just ridiculous yeah and also the fact that um and again i'm sure like everybody was so on edge about everything that um they weren't thinking about laws and you know i'm sure the federal government thinks that they can trump state law or whatever but to not allow the pathologist in dallas to do his job like he was supposed to do um to uh keep the murder in the jurisdiction in which it happened you know so that makes it easier to say that the government was trying to cover something up because they were taking it out of civilian hands and putting it completely into the government's hands. Well, but it's kind of an unprecedented sort of thing, though, right? Um, I mean, it's not every day that a a U.S. president gets shot. So I assume that the higher-ups would have probably said, well, we can bend the rules on this because because it's the president. Um, You know. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, and... um... Yeah, exactly. There's just so much other stuff when you are the president of the United States that um, I'm sure everybody's first thought was we need to get him to Bethesda where, you know, you would take a president. But and yeah, I'm sure, you know, you can train as much as you want for um, something that might happen. But until it actually does happen. I don't think you can accurately know how you're going to, um, you know, act. Right. So, okay, let's see what else we have that's feeling conspiracies. We have that, okay, so there are 82, head, 82 witnesses to the head wound saying that the exit was found in the rear. Um, and some of them say... It came from the right front side of the grassy knoll. Um, there are memos out there that have been found because of declassified information. Um, three days after the assassination, Deputy Attorney General Nicholas Katzenbach wrote a memo saying that it's important for the American people to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald did it. Um the FBI apparently destroyed evidence, which were a few of Oswald's notes. There's apparently a photo of Oswald standing in the doorway of the book depository building. Um, the Warren Commission did their investigations on it and said it was uh, Billy Nolan Lovelady. But it's interesting to note that the person happens to be wearing the exact same clothing that Oswald was apprehended in. I'm assuming this picture was probably taken around the time that 
um, the motorcade went through, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Because he's, like, in the background, I think, as somebody's going by. Hmm, okay. I mean, I could see if there was some sort of uniform that was uh, worn for the book depository, that, that how, how that could get confused. Yeah, wasn't wearing a uniform. It was like, um, he was like wearing a t-shirt and a certain color of button-up shirt over it. And um, I think when this Billy Love Lady was questioned or um, found, he wasn't wearing that, but right. uh, Oswald was. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, it's an interesting photo. It's out there. Um, and he, it's hard to make out the face because obviously it's an old photo and it's right. from a ways away. Um, other things that are contributing to the conspiracy, CIA lied repeatedly to the Warren Commission, which shouldn't be a shock because it happened today. Um, the Warren Commission witnesses claim there have been smoke from the grassy knoll. Um, declassified information says there had been phone calls and documents from Lyndon Johnson to get the Warren Commission to cover up facts to prevent World War III and it cites foreign complications and also that Lyndon Johnson convinced Earl Warren to head the commission because of, quote, what Hoover told me about a little incident in Mexico City. And what is that referring to? Uh, well, they found that pre-assassination, about eight weeks before, um, Lee Harvey Oswald had actually traveled to Mexico City. And oh, right. This is so, where he supposedly met with the FBI. No, he met with the KGB. Oh, okay. He met with uh, Kostikov, <laughs> I think is his last name, who was the head of Department 13, which was the assassinations of the Western Hemisphere Department. And then he also met with the Cuban embassy and had said a bunch of things. So he, he was also trying to get visas to both countries while he was down there. Okay. And... Uh, both of them denied him his visa. So, yeah. Um, other things, uh, last part of the list that I found contributed to the conspiracies was that um, the investigation was sealed in the National Archives for 75 years. I don't find that that unusual, honestly. Um it it's not. It it honestly is not. Yeah, uh, the the government's all about secrecy, you know, and it would stand to reason that if something like that happened and they investigated it, wh whatever the outcome was, I think they would have sealed it for that long. So yeah, and it honestly goes back to a rule that the National Archives has that things should be protected for seventy five years because it's an invasion of privacy right. is what they, they considered it. So it's, it's 
not something that the investigation did. It's something that the National Archives already had in place to um, protect the privacy of people who had been investigated. Um, rumors that Joseph Kennedy did work for the mafia when he was bootlegging, and then they ended up helping JFK get elected. And that was one of the reasons that the mob might have done it. Um, well, why would no you want to? Why, why would you want to kill the guy that you helped get into the presidency? I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty widespread knowledge that the Kennedys were involved with the mob. I mean, that's kind of just known at this point, right? Yeah, but um, Bobby Kennedy, as Attorney General, and JFK were getting drunk against organized crime. So while their father may have had mafia ties, I'm not real sure that the two of them had ties. But um, they were definitely hated by the mob. Yeah, I guess... they were also hated. I guess I'm a little biased. They were politicians, and my whole (laughs) um, feeling of politicians has gone in the toilet here recently, so... (laughs) <laughs> just recently? Well, <laughs> no, <laughs> actually. I kind of had an inkling that they were all pieces of shit before. Now I'm pretty pretty certain. So, You um, know, everybody has... Go ahead. Everybody has their good side. Every time, everybody has their bad side. But absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when you give people that amount of power and you put them into the weirdness that is Washington, D.C., I think. Um, all the, people's good intentions can change quickly and, um, you know, money perverts people when they're um, attempting to go into good things. So Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, I'm just... That's why I don't think that there's really any hope because you pretty much have to tear it all down and start from scratch to be able to get rid of it because, like you said, even if there are good-intentioned people that get into politics, they get sucked into all these um, dirty practices all the time, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, money can do so much, you know, for you and against you, I think, when you're in that realm. Um, and it's a game. It's a game. So, just uh, makes you wonder what kind of game was being played that uh, JFK was able to be assassinated by a lone gunman. Right. Um. There, there's just so many weird things around it. Um. Okay. So we're we're getting late into this hour. Yep. Uh. So. There were no recordings or transcripts made of Oswald's interrogation over the weekend, which, I mean, I think is a little weird. Like, why wouldn't you want to? Yeah, I mean, I understand that they were going to conduct a more formal interview later on, which is when he got shot, when he was being transported to that. But the fact that you don't document any sort of interview or any sort of confession or comments or anything is crazy. I mean, I would I would think that 
even normal criminals would be documented from the moment they went into jail to the moment they left. Let alone yeah, like the person who just as, killed the president of the United States. Like as soon as you have them and are ready to do so, like I don't see why waiting until he gets moved. But that's a whole other weird thing in its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is circumstantial evidence that Oswald was actually an FBI informant, or even possibly an and or we'll say an agent of U.S. intelligence. There are um, there were multiple sightings of individuals impersonating Oswald in incriminating circumstances before the assassination in Mexico City and other places. Why would um, that happen? That's confusing to me. It is confusing, but if you're trying to work a long game to cover something up and patsy this weird guy, um, it can make sense. Oh, so so they're basically um, trying to just point out, oh, this is a terrible guy. Look at all these terrible things he did. Well, they're trying to say that Oswald wasn't actually out there doing anything like meeting with KGB and meeting with the Cuban embassy. They're saying like they sent somebody down there to do that, to make it seem like he would be doing that. So when they arrest him after Kennedy's assassination, it's easier to believe that he had something to do with it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So did you know Jack Ruby was only interviewed once in his jail cell? Jail? after the uh, Warren report actually had started being written. No. And then, yeah, and then Chief Justice Justice Warren completely rebuffed Ruby's pleas that uh, he wanted to speak openly in Washington, D.C. So they wouldn't let the guy come and talk to Congress Um about why he did what he did. Um, the rush to confine the whole thing as soon as possible, obviously, shows some doubt within people who believe what the government put out. And then the other last thing that I have on our list is apparently there was a 45 caliber slug found by a mysterious government agent in the grass on the south side of Elm Street. A 45. So, yeah, slug. that's a. Okay. Yeah, a 45, so not from the bolt action rifle. Right. But, uh, yeah, those are, those are, that is a really long list <laughs> of <laughs> reasons um, the conspiracy moves on. Do you want to talk about uh, some of the conspiracies that have come about because of these things? Well, I'm wondering. Yeah, let's go for that. Okay, which one do you want to start with? (laughs) Wherever you think is... The best, I guess. I guess let's start with the magic bullet. That's kind of like the big um, conspiracy 
thing, I guess. Okay. Okay. It is it is a pretty big uh, conspiracy, and it is definitely something that makes people um, question the single gun, uh, single shooter theory. And the reason is because one bullet, it's, I'm assuming it's supposed to be the second shot or the first shot, depending on who you ask. Um, the one that actually the first hit on Kennedy. Um, so one bullet makes seven wounds on two men and then is found mysteriously intact on a stretcher an hour after Kennedy had been whisked away to Washington, D.C. So they say that the bullet was pristine and looked like it had been unfired. And that the trajectory that it would have had to have gone would be to strike Kennedy in the back, um, kind of up in his right shoulder blade, closer to his spine, goes out his neck, right above the knot of his tie. Would have to stop midair for 1.6 seconds, move upward to the right, and then downward to the left toward the outside of the car. And then it would go into Governor Connolly in front of um, President Kennedy, hit him in the right armpit, exit his chest, make a right-hand turn going toward the outside of the car, and then make a U-turn into his wrist, and then exit his wrist, and then lands in his thigh. From what I have seen, um, what you just described was assuming the um, the convertible that they were riding in was unmodified. But exactly th- the convertible that they were riding in was modified so that the seat that JFK was sitting on was higher than usual. Um, Yes, and the seat that Governor Connolly was in wasn't directly in front of him. It was actually more of like a foot to the left. So there was like a little, like when you open the door, there's a step and then you can go into the back easier. Right. So it seems to me that somebody came up with this theory that didn't have all the information as far as, like, the modified car, or they didn't account for that information. And that conspiracy theory spread like wildfire at that point. Um, because I've seen the diagram of, yeah, this if this if this is how they were sitting in a normal car – yeah, it would have had to, the bullet would have had to have done some crazy stuff, but let's line it up to where they were actually sitting, and it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and after seeing the X-ray images of Governor Connolly, um, and also what the the photo of the magic bullet really looked like. Um, I would say that it is plausible for them to have found it on a stretcher because by the time it landed in his thigh, it only kind of scraped his bone. 
it didn't go through it. It didn't explode upon impact. So if he had a bullet wedged into his thigh, I could see how during moving him or whatever, it may have slipped out or, you know, something to um, end up leaving it on a stretcher. Um, The bullet itself is actually uh, bent kind of in the middle and is a little bit flattened on the base of it. So it doesn't look pristine at all. Right, yeah. I mean, it does does show some wear, but the fact that it's, like, fully intact when a different bullet, like, which I think it was, like, the first shotter's was shattered. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. That being said, I do know that bullets do some weird shit when they go through bodies. Um, you know. Yeah, and I think, I think too, depending on what it hits and the, you know, at the force that it hits and everything, what would happen to that? Um, would it create uh, the bullet to go into shards or, you know, can it actually pass through all of these people in a linear fashion without it contacting anything enough for it to cause it to splinter away. So that's something I'd have to leave up to like a ballistics expert. Um, You know, I'm sure like there wasn't a lot to, um, Stop the bullet when it's going through the upper right part of Kennedy's shoulder blade and then through his throat and then, you know, into kind of soft tissue into Connolly through small bones and then wedging itself, you know, into his thigh. So be interesting to find out. Yeah. What would you say? is the second biggest conspiracy surrounding this. Um, well, we are getting a little bit low on time, and we did mention last week that we were going to talk about the Umbrella Man. So let's talk about him <laughs> okay. for a second. All right, do you want to go ahead and talk <clears throat> about him? Um, <clears throat> there's, uh, I had some documents up, and I closed them, so I don't have them anymore. Um, I let me see if I can find his name real quick. Okay. Um, so basically, the Umbrella Man refers to, um, as you can see in the the film, was he in the film? Yeah, I think that's how they found him. Right, okay. So, um, as you can see in the film, as they're passing the grassy knoll, a guy has an umbrella, which, okay, you wouldn't normally think anything of, except for the fact that it was a sunny, cloudless day. So there was... Yeah, and he is the only man with an umbrella. Yep. So there was no reason to have an umbrella, let alone having it open and having it up at the time. 
So this has led a lot of people to question what exactly was this guy's deal. Um, This guy was eventually uh, identified as Louis Stephen Witt. Um, As seen in the Zapruder film and several other films. Um, So... Basically, like, the speculation with the Umbrella Man was that he was a signal man. So, whoever was, um, well, there's a couple of different theories. One of them is that he was a signal man, so when, um, JFK would drive by and he hit the right mark, the Umbrella Man would raise his umbrella and the assassin would fire, uh, whoever that may be. Um, another... Theory is that he was he was the mark basically, um, so when JFK passed this guy at a specific point with the umbrella, that's when the assassination w- or the assassin was supposed to shoot. Um, there are some crazier theories that um, some people believe that um, the umbrella was actually a gun disguised as an umbrella and that it was the uh, thing that fired the bullet that killed Kennedy. I think that's ridiculous. I don't think that's uh, anywhere near feasible. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Um, there's actually another theory that, um, and actually the X files uh, um, explored this theory as well, that the uh, umbrella was a dart gun that, um, incapacitated uh, JFK, so he was a sitting duck. That doesn't huh. that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. If you're gonna shoot yeah. somebody, they're gonna be surprised. There's no reason to first sedate them and then shoot them. Well, and why would you why would you want to sedate them and have them slump over? You know, right. like he was very much. I mean, even though he had already been shot, he was still upright. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and like... So, why... I mean, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it, it it would do nothing but cause more suspicion moments before this guy's supposed to be shot. So... Yeah. That one's pretty so, far out to me. So, um, does the Pruder film come out in 1975? So, the House Service Committee for Assassinations or at HSCSCA, whatever. I'm missing up my acronym and my uh, acronym mm-hmm. and my um, title for them. But when they reopened everything in 1976, they and they had, you know, because of this recruiter film, um, they found this guy and asked him, like, he had to go through Congress and he had to give a sworn testimony on what he was actually doing. Mm -hmm. And apparently it was an obscure um, protest. So Neville Chamberlain, who was pre-World War II British Prime Minister, and I may have that wrong, but I think I'm right, um, used to always carry a umbrella and he sympathized with the Nazis and so and Joseph Kennedy, Kennedy's father, 
um, was really into Neville Chamberlain. And so it was his way of protesting against Joseph Kennedy, Joseph Kennedy's um, being soft on Nazis. Yeah, and this was so, actually this this had precedent. Um, people had been using it, umbrellas to protest this issue before it had happened. Yeah. Um, so yep. And there was, had been political cartoons and all kinds of things depicting Neville Chamberlain with this umbrella. So it's not a unheard of thing. Part of me kind of wants to think it was a signal, but I'm pretty sure it was just yeah, just co- obscure... just coincidence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I do too. I mean, I like like you said, I would really love to believe that that's some sort of um, conspiracy, um, but yeah, it does seem like it's just a coincidence. Unfortunately, we speaking of coincidences and our short amount of time. Let's talk about whether or not the driver, the Secret Service driver of the limo took the fatal shot. Because this is something that a lot of people believe because of the Sabruder film. Um, so after he shot the first time and, you know, there's a lot of commotion going on in the backseat. Um, Connolly's obviously wounded. Uh, there's a very, I mean, everything's moving quickly. There's a part of the the Zapruder film where the Secret Service driver turns around. People say it looks like he has a gun, and then all of a sudden, Kennedy is shot a second time. Um, this led to a lot of people, you know, obviously thinking that he was the one that that did the shooting and that he had do, done the shooting the first time, um, but. Really, if you if you really look, the gun in question is actually the reflection of the Secret Service guy in the passenger side seat. Um, it's his forehead, and it it kind of looks like a gun, but it's obvi- it's very obviously not a gun. Um, and I think the argument that he turned around right when he got shot the second time is kind of weird. Just because if you're driving your secret service and the president has is be, has been shot and the first lady is freaking out, um, you would be turning around to try to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, you would have to be the one that delivers the final blow. I think that would be, uh, if, if it was a government conspiracy, if the secret service had something to do with it. I think that would be a really dumb move to pull a gun out right at that moment and turn around and, you well, know, well, and obviously just, nobody has that gun. Yeah, and just I just think of it logistically, it right? Was- like, so if let's let's sit, take a wild leap for a second and say that yeah, the um, the driver the secret service driver was supposed to take out JFK take him out in the middle of a crowded street where there's a bunch of witnesses is insane 
um, if you're the driver of the vehicle, you could drive down an alleyway, take him out there. Could have taken him out when the motorcade started, where there was just you know Secret Service people around and not a bunch of civilians. Could have done it when it ended, where there's a bunch of Secret Service person and people and no civilians. There's a lot better opportunities to take this shot than when you're driving down a road in plain sight of tons of civilians, right? How accurate can your shot be firing over your shoulder without aiming and, again, surrounded by a bunch of people? Yeah, that's so ridiculously cavalier that why? Just why, right? (laughs) Yeah, and it, it, it just completely negates that human reaction when your job is to protect the president and he has been shot is to turn around and try to figure out what's going on with your boss. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a funny, this is a funny conspiracy. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous to me. That's no way, no way in hell is that one. Any sort of credible. It just doesn't go against. It just goes against all logic. Really. I think. Yeah, but I I think you can also say that about a lot of the conspiracies surrounding this. Uh, Let me find those numbers. So, um, according to one of the shows I was watching today, there are over 311 conspiracy theories surrounding this subject, um, which include 42 different groups that could have done it, 82 different assassins, and um, 214 people who could have also been involved with the assassination. So, I mean, people are grasping at straws from everywhere. I mean, this is the conspiracy, right? The conspiracy of our generation, or a couple of generations that are before us. Um, so, any possibility of it being anybody is going to be thrown out there, right? Um, it's going to be speculated yeah. about. So Anybody but Oswald. Because <laughs> right. everything surrounding him is interesting also. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are at time pretty much. Um, do we want to do another week on this? We probably have enough to do another week on this. Do you want to do another week on it? We almost, we almost have to. Because, okay. this, I mean, I feel like we repeated ourselves from last time, but only better. Um, but, yeah, we have a lot of other stuff that we can cover as far as um, not only the conspiracy theories out there, but reasons of the assassination and um, even what experts have been saying about everything. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so we will... Uh... Next episode, excuse me, we will continue with this uh, subject and have a lot more to say on the matter. So first three-parter, and based on the information, possibly four. So we <laughs> we shall see. But, um, yeah, we will catch you next time for more JFK assassination. Peace.